Then suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine who has been traveling has just arrived at my house, and I have nothing for him to eat. Now the one inside may answer, Don't bother me. The door is already shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up to give you anything, but I tell you, even if you won't get up, because the man is his friend, you or yet because of the man's... Uh, I'm going to look this word up. One second. His boldness, audacity, insolence, or nerve. Basically, pes pestering. Right? I, I need to remind you, you may not remember from last time I was here, I do use a different translation. Uh, the reason I use it is, as I've looked at the Greek, it's more direct. Translation. So that's why I use it. So maybe a little different than what you're used to. Um, but I think you'll be able to follow along. So because of his, his pestering, because I've already put my, my kids to bed. <laughs> why are you at my door? Leave me alone. Go away, right? We've all been there. Uh, a telemarketer or whoever <laughs> knocks on our door in the middle of the night, right? I've already, I'm, I'm trying to eat dinner, right? Leave me, leave me alone. And so that's the... The lesson or the analogy that he's, he's putting forth here. But he says, because of this man's pest, uh, pestering, basically, he will get up and give him as much as he needs to get him to go away. Verse 9, moreover, I, I myself say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who goes on asking receives. And he who goes on seeking finds. And to him who continues knocking, the door will be opened. Is that our attitude, right? Do we keep seeking the Lord? Or do we have this thought that, well, I did that once. Don't need to seek the Lord every day, right? Keep asking. Keep seeking. He knows what we need, right? But he wants us to ask for it, as Brother Ed pointed out. In other words, and we're going to look at a couple of other uh, passages of examples of people that did this to the Lord. He wants us to pester Him. <laughs> as odd as that may sound, as Him being God the Father and His Son Jesus, that He should be above that, right? But that's what He wants us to do. He wants us to pester Him. And we're going to look at some examples of that, of people's faith. And because of their faith and their pestering and their uh, persistence, God granted them what they were asking for. Verse 11, this is why. He, he's going to speak of himself as a father. He says, Is there any father here who if his son asked him for a fish would instead of a fish give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg would give him a scorpion? So if you, even though you are bad, know how to give your children gifts that are good, how much more will the Father keep giving the Holy Spirit from heaven to those who keep asking him, right? Brother Evans pointed out, in me, as Paul said, lies no good thing, right? If there's any good in me, it's of the Lord. And he says, even if you, as a bad person, know how to treat your children, give them what they need, how much more your Father is going to give you that Holy Spirit? To those who keep asking, right? It, it comes down to, that's not what we're going to look at today, but it comes down to our priorities, right? What is our treasure? What are we seeking after? Is our treasure things of this world and all those things? Uh... The scripture uh, that Brother Tyler read, hating the world, not loving the world, right? Mm -hmm. One of the sins is the pretensions of life. 
And we know what pretentious is, right? Is that our focus? Is that our treasure? All the things of the world that we're seeking, or is it the Lord? We're asking of Him to give us His Holy Spirit, that comforter, right? Or more so, that shepherd, that voice of reason with us, within our heart, that gives us our left and right limits. That's what a shepherd does. Turn over to Jude 3. Jude verse 3. Jude's admonition here to those who have been called in verse 1, who are loved by God the Father, kept for Jesus. That's who he's writing to, to God's people. Verse 3, he says, Dear friends, I was busily at work writing to you about the salvation we shared when I found it necessary to write you, urging you to keep contending earnestly for the faith which was once and for all passed on to God's people. Keep contending. Right? Fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Don't let go of the rope. <laughs> Keep earnestly seeking it. Chasing it. Um, pursuing it. Right? As uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love. Well, what does it mean to pursue something? You go after it with everything you got. Right? Do we do that? Or do we get complacent? Right? We get complacent. And we get lazy. And we quit, we quit pursuing because... It's wearisome, right? It's tiresome, right? And that's why Paul said, don't grow weary in well-doing, because in due time you're going to receive the just reward, right? If you keep doing it. And that's why we come together, as, we, as I was talking about earlier, right? We come together, we have these times to be able to come together and share in a commonality and share the very words of God and what He's done for us to build us up. That's the reason for our assembling. It's a shot in the arm. I don't know if you've ever been, I, I am in the military, the National Guard, and I travel a lot of, for work, not so much anymore, but I did uh, for most of my career. And when you're gone for weeks at a time and you're missing those services, it is hard to get through a week, to get through a day, to get through a month, right? But when we're able to come together once or twice or three times a week, however often we meet, it's a shot in the arm. It, re, it rejuvenates us, re-energizes us. In Matthew chapter 15, and that's one of the reasons I do enjoy the, uh, the ability of modern technology that we have today. Not that it should be an excuse not to come. And if it ever was, thank the Lord, the two churches I've been in so far that have used it, that hasn't become an issue. Uh, but it is there. Because people do have to travel for work from time to time. So it is there as a resource, or if you're sick at home, right? Instead of being at home by yourself, you're able to tune in and, and watch the services. Like I said, thank the Lord that has not been a problem in the church I pastored, nor the one I came from. People still come. But it is there when you're not able to be there, right? And, and it helps. It's not the same. <laughs> and I think because of that, people realize it's not the same. And so they still come physically when they're able to. But it's better than nothing. It's even better than being in your hotel room or wherever you are studying on your own. It just is. But in Luke chapter 15, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, we see an example here of Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories uh, of one of the lessons that happened. Because you think about, like Brother Tyler was reading, I got tickled uh, 
the disciples asked him, did you realize you offended the Pharisees? <laughs> and we're going to find here that Jesus is going to insult somebody. He's going, he's going to call her a name. He's going to call her a dog. But notice what she does. That doesn't detract her faith. She holds on to the rope. And we're going to find this in this, uh, this account. Verse 21 of Matthew 15, he says, Jesus left that place and went off to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A, a woman from Canaan who was living there came to him pleading, Sir, have pity on me, son of David. My daughter is cruelly held under the power of demons. She knew who Jesus was. And we know the land of Canaan, right, in the history of the Old Testament, that that was the land that the Lord gave the people, right, of all their enemies. The people that lived in the land of Canaan were the cursed sons of uh, Ham, Noah's son that was cursed. All those people came out of, the, out of that. That was who lived in this region. And so that's who she is. That's where she's from, similar to the Samaritans. Um, when you, we're going to read that account later, too, in John 4. But she knows who he is. Have pity on me, son of David. My daughter's cruelly held under the power of demons. Well, what is son of David? <laughs> He's the son of, jo of uh, Joseph. She knew the history. She knew who Jesus was. She knew that out of Jesse is going to come a root. Out of the son of David. She knew that. Right? That's very key to this. That she knew who the Lord was. She wasn't just some stranger. Verse 23, But Jesus did not say a word to her. Then his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away because she's following us and keeps pestering us with her crying. <laughs> what do you find, right? Pestering. Right? Annoyance. She's not going to go away. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We know if you've studied Jesus' ministry, which I'm sure you all have, we know at this point in his ministry, uh, he's still going to Israel. He hasn't abandoned them at this point in time. So he's telling them, I've, I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, fell at his feet and said, Sir, help me. You know, sometimes your mind kicks out of gear. And I just thought about something and you think about where she's at in her life. You know, she's at her, she's at her wit's end. She doesn't know what to do. Right? Help me. Right? Have, have we all been there? Right? I think we all have. We fell on our knees and cried out to the Lord. Help me. I can't help myself. Please. That's where she's at. Now, too many times I think we don't cry out to the Lord because we don't think we need help. We think, we think we're good. And we're arrogant. Right? That's the whole reason why he wants us to rely on him. So we realize it ain't us. Whatever we have, is it's of him. Verse 26, he says, He answered, It's not right to take the children's food and toss it to their pet dogs. I think most of us would be pretty offended by that if Jesus said that to one of us. He called her a dog. Right? And I think it's in Luke's account, maybe Mark, uh, she says, even so, but uh, even dogs eat the food that falls from the children's table. But we're going to read Matthew's uh, version. Verse 27, she said, that is true, sir. But even the dogs eat the leftovers that fall from their master's table. 
Then Jesus answered her, Lady, you are a person of great trust. Let your desire be granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. So we see, right? That's the attitude we need to have. Like Peter in John chapter 6, are you going to leave? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the same attitude she has here, right? I may be a dog, and what you said is true about me. I'm a dog, right? And too many times we lose, as my dad would put it a lot of times, the default position of humility. We lose that. We forget to stay humble that, yeah, I'm a dog. And I'm a liar, right? Let God be true and every man a liar. That there's no one righteous, not one, right? We forget that. And we start, it starts to become this legalistic idea of our own righteousness and not that we're putting on His works, His actions, right? As you pointed out. God tells you to do it, you do it. That's your faith, right? That's what Abraham is. We're going to read that in James chapter 2. That was the point of what he was trying to get across. Was that Abraham believed God and it was accounted as righteousness. But it wasn't... What no, he did, right? Abraham didn't rise up and decide one day, I'm going to go kill my son for God. That's not what he did. God told him to go do it, and he was getting ready to follow through with it. And because Hebrews 11 tells us he had enough faith, because he knew that God is faithful. As you pointed out, right? God is faithful. The promise is coming through Isaac. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but I trust you, and I'm going to kill my son. And then Hebrews 11 tells us that he knew and reckoned in himself that even if he killed him, God was going to raise him up. He had enough faith to believe that. But too many times we don't stay in that default position of humility and realize that, yeah, I'm a dog, but you're my master. Right? And I'm not leaving, as we're going to look in a second, I'm not leaving until you bless me. I'm going to hold on to this rope, and I'm going to hold on to you, and I'm going to cling to you. What a great example of an attitude that you're we're supposed to have. And she let her pride she didn't let her pride get in the way. Right? She's like, well I am what I am, but you're my master. And I'm gonna follow you. No matter what. In Luke chapter eighteen we see a similar example here with the unjust judge. Luke eighteen Jesus uses this as an explanation of His mercy. In Luke 18 and verse 2, it says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected other people. There was also in that town a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Give me a judgment against the man who is trying to ruin me. For a long time he refused, but after a while he said to himself, I don't fear God and don't respect other people. But because this widow is such a pest, I will see to it that she gets justice. Otherwise, she'll keep coming and pestering me till she wears me out. Verse 6, Then the Lord commented, Notice what this corrupt judge says. Now won't God grant justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Is he delaying long over them? I tell you that he will judge in their favor and quickly. But when the Son of Man comes... Will he find this trust on the earth at all? And so we see this, obviously a poor example, right, of what you're not supposed to do, right? Well, I'll just judge it so she'll leave me alone. But the Lord uses that as an example. Will God not grant justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? 
And we're going to find later on, matter of fact, hold your hand here. Uh, we're coming back over to 1 John chapter 1. So this is a, it's a rhetorical question. Won't God grant justice to His chosen people who cry out to Him day and night? Well, the answer is yes. We already knew that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we claim, or excuse me, if we acknowledge our sins, then since he is trustworthy and just, he will forgive them and purify us from all wrongdoings. So we see that's a two-part, right? Too many people think it's just about forgiveness. No, as you read in the verse you read, right? Teaching. <laughs> Repentance leading to salvation. Right? That's what it's about. It's not just, well, yeah, forgive me, but I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. It's not how it works. We acknowledge our sins, and by the way, He wants us to tell Him the details. And at least what I've found in my life, with my experience in sin, when I've given those details to the Lord, it ain't so pretty. And it's not as fun as it was when I committed the sin, was it? And I think if you're honest, it'll be the same way for you. The Lord wants us, He doesn't want us to beat around the bush, you know, like we often do when we're with our brethren. Did this. No, he wants to know. For one, he already knows because God searches everybody. He knows our hearts, our minds. He's, he already knows it. Not, nothing with him is hidden, right? He already knows. But same with, he already knows what we need, but he wants us to ask for it. It's the same with this. He already knows what we've done. He wants us to confess it and acknowledge it. That's why he's the great high priest. We go to him to confess it. And he's faithful and just to forgive it. But then there's more to that, right? And purify us from all wrongdoing. Well, how do we do that? In the third chapter, this is how we do it. First John chapter 3, verse 3. Of course, in the first two verses, he's telling us, you know, See what love the Father's lavished on us, right? We love Him not because we first loved Him, but because He first loved us. That's why we love Him. We don't work for salvation, we work because of it, right? We're going to look at that in James 2. Because He delivered us, we give actions. But in verse 3, He says, And everyone who has this hope in Him, what hope? That we're God's children now? And it's not yet made clear what we've become. We do know that when He appears, we'll be like Him because we will see Him as He really is. That's the hope, right? And if we have this hope, everyone who has this hope in Him continues purifying himself since God is pure. Everyone who keeps sinning is violating the law. Indeed, sin is violation of the law. And we'll stop there. You know, you're all familiar with this chapter. But that's how we can do it, right? It's a mutual thing with us and the Lord. Lord, help me. Help me to overcome these things. Help me to overcome the sin that so easily besets me. For what? Purification. You talked about, right? Getting rid of those things. I think Tyler did too. Day by day, getting rid of those things that, that, that take us away from the Lord. Back in Luke chapter 18, we see in verse 9 what we're not supposed to do. I kind of 
kind of alluded to this a minute ago. In verse 9, he says, Also to some who are relying, who were relying on their own righteousness and looking down on everyone else, he told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself, O oh God, I thank you I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, immoral, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on my entire income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes toward heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner that I am. I tell you, this man went down to his home right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. He goes on to tell him, unless you humble yourself like a child, you're not even going to enter. We see that, that one is, has lost his ability to be humble and the other one is, is humble. I am a dog. I'm a sinner. Not even raising his eyes toward heaven. and He's in shame. And when you, you look at a child, right, primarily thinking about in the church, they come to believe the things of the Lord. They just accept it. Right? No questions asked. They take it at face value. What it says is the way it is, right? And that's what he's talking about. This is how we have to be. Taking it in. Humbling ourselves. So that at the right time, he can lift us up, right? Genesis chapter 32. Again, another uh, account that we're all familiar with, but just serves as a reminder for us. We see this with Jacob, right? He he was being pastoring the Lord, <laughs> and the Lord blesses him for it. Verse thirty, or excuse me, verse uh, twenty-four of Genesis thirty-two. It says, and Jacob was left alone, and some man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he did not defeat Jacob, he struck Jacob's hip socket so that his hip was dislocated while wrestling with him. The man said, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. The man said, from now on you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Because you have shown your strength to both God and men and have prevailed. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why are you asking about? asking about my name, and blessed him there. Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, or face of God, because I have seen God face to face, yet my life is spared. As the sun rose upon him, he went on past uh, Peniel, limping at the hip. This is why to this day the people of Israel do not eat the thigh muscle, pass along the hip socket, because the man struck Jacob's hip at its socket. So we see the same thing with Jacob. He breaks his hip, tells him, go away, leave me alone. He says, I'm not going anywhere until you bless me. And in some instances, you might look at that and say, well, that was pretty prideful or arrogant of Jacob. But we look at these other examples and you're like, no, it wasn't. He was proving to the Lord he knew where his blessing and his salvation came from. And he was clinging to it. 
with everything he had, right? Fighting with an angel, God, whichever one you want to go with. Fighting with him. As a man, he's not going to prevail against the Lord, right? But he's fighting. He's wrestling. Seeking that blessing. In John chapter 14... I saw something recently that said, uh, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. Right? And that's the truth. He's not, because Satan would have you believe, and I know you've all heard this in your head, right? Not, I'm not talking about hearing voices, schizophrenia, but you've heard this in your head, right? Why would the Lord even want to still use me or bother with me? Right? That's Satan. That's what he wants you to believe, right? Just give up. Because if he can give you to give, get you to give up, he won. But I'm telling you, don't let go of the rope. Cling to the Lord. Like, if you have to, like I have in my times, when I've been alone and that been wrestling with uh, adversary, scream at him. I have. Get away from me, as Jesus said, right? Get away from me, Satan. Right? If that's what it takes. And cry out to the Lord. Lord, help me. As Peter did, right? He looked away from the Lord. He turns back. Help me. But we've got to have faith to do it, right? As you point out. Not lack that faith. Not praying in vain, right? Praying without lacking the faith. Pray believing we're going to receive it. Because it's in accordance with His will, right? And we're seeking those good things. John 14, verse 22. It says, Judas, not the one from Iscariot, said to him, What has happened, Lord, that you are about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If someone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, how many times do we forget the Lord's gone home with us today, right? How many times do we we show up and we, we come here, we put him on like a shirt or a jacket, we make sure we hang him up when we leave. We forget that he's going home with us. Right? If we knew that, if we knew the Lord was going home with us, we'd make some changes, wouldn't we? That's what he wants. He wants us to do that repentance and to confess ourselves and, and purge those things. As it were in 1 Corinthians 5, right? Getting rid of that leaven that contaminates our household. My Father will love Him. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. Someone who doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. The word you're hearing is not my own, but that of the Father who sent me. Turn over to John 4. My brother had mentioned something earlier that struck me with this verse. 
that we should be excited, right? And everyone that we're around should know it. They should know it because what? It's it's billowing over. I think is the term you use. Boiling, boiling over. And that's exactly what Jesus tells this woman here in John chapter four. We're going to break in the thought because we're all familiar for the sake of time. Uh, we'll pick up in verse ten. Jesus answered her, If you knew God's gift, that is, who it is saying to you, Give me a drink of water, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it. And so did his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him, will never be thirsty again. On the contrary, notice this. On the contrary, the water I give him will become a spring of water inside him, welling up into eternal life. Sir, give me this water, the woman said to him, so that I won't have to be thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. She answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands in the past, and you're not married to the man you're living with now. You've spoken the truth. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet, the woman replied. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place where one has to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, lady, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people don't know what you're worshipping. We worship what we do know. Because salvation comes from the truth, from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father spiritually and truly, or in spirit and truth. For these are the kind of people the Father wants worshiping Him. God is spirit, and worshipers must worship Him spiritually and truly. And that's also found in the 24th chapter of Joshua. It says the same thing. Stop there. He goes on to tell her, I am, right? <laughs> That's what primarily John wrote about, the I am. That's what this book is about. It's what, uh, from John's perspective, the I am. Jesus. <laughs> I'm the Word, the truth, and the life. It was the Word from the beginning. The Word was God, the Word was with God. The Word was made manifest with us, and we saw Him, and we handled Him, we touched Him with our own eyes and our hands. It says, it's not about the place. It's about worshiping Him spiritually and truly, having that well of water within us springing up or boiling over. Think about an artesian well, right? It just always flows. It's flowing over all the time. It's what we're supposed to be. We're not going to go read them today for the sake of time, but you can read back to the early part of Jesus' ministry when he's going out healing people, removing demons. What does he tell them? One man in particular wanted to go with him, right? He said, no, you go and tell everybody what I did for you. That's what he wants. That's the work he gave us to do. To tell everybody that will listen, right? Matthew 28, you go and preach it to all creatures. That's the work. That's what he wants. He wants us out there doing it. 
Brother Tyler mentioned, and I've, I brought this out at Bethel as well. We've let other religions, like Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, do a better job at evangelizing than we have. Right? I'm not saying we're going to be huge in number. We're not. But that shouldn't be an excuse for us not to do the work God gave us to do. Right? Too many times we use it as an excuse. Well, the scriptures say we're supposed to be small, and that is true. We are. But that's not an excuse for us not to at least try. <laughs> we had to do it. God commanded us to do it. That's the work He gave us. Other than that, what other work is there to do? What is the work? And we call it, you don't hear the term too much anymore. I wish it wasn't the case, but you hear the term, the work. Well, what's the work? It's a rhetorical, right? Something to think of. What's, what is the work? Obviously, loving the Lord God with our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our brethren as ourselves, right? That's part of it. But we're also to go out and take it outside of these doors. Now, they may or may not listen, and if they don't, move on. But we're still to do it. James chapter 2. I'll try to wrap this up pretty quickly. James chapter 2. Uh, we're going to pick up and. Verse 14. You know, Brother Ed was speaking, I kept thinking about this chapter. <laughs> Faith is going to cause us to do something. It's going to cause us to do something. Right? Like I mentioned a minute ago, we don't work for salvation, we work because of it. But I think too many times people have used that one verse in Ephesians chapter 2. They don't, they don't continue to the next verse, right? It's not a works lest any man should boast. That is true. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase this rabbit for one second. You'll bear with me. Keep going chasing that rabbit. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 because I don't want to misquote it. And that is, that's true, right? God's word is true. It's not a works lest any man should boast. It was nothing we did or can do. Tell us that in the book of Romans when he's dealing with that chapter, talking about there's no one righteous. We've all fallen short, right? <coughs> but read the next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are of God's making, created in union with the Messiah Jesus, for a life of good actions, or works, already prepared by God for us to do. So it's nothing we come up with, right? That's the point of that context. But too many times people use that one verse. They're like, well, it's not about works, so we don't do anything. right? No, it's his works. Like we're going to read in, in James 2 with Abraham, right? It wasn't something Abraham came up with on his own. I'm going to go kill my son. God told him to do it, and he followed it. Same when we're sent somewhere, right? Or we're told to do something. We go do it. So in James 2, I just wanted to bring that into context with Ephesians 2. James 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is such faith able to save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Peace, keep warm, and eat hearty. Without giving him what he needs, what good does it do? Thus faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. Someone will say that you have faith and I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without the actions. And I will show you my faith 
by my actions. Well, what is that? Is that something we come up with? Or is it simply we tell everybody what the Lord did for us and we show love to our brethren and we take care of them? I think it's the second one. Right? It's not anything that, like the, the guy, the Pharisee, right? Look at what I did. Right? Pounding his chest. I pay my, ta- I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. Right? <laughs> my grandfather would have said when he was alive, they got the eyes. Right? It's about me. Look at all these things I did. No. Like you pointed out, brother, it's, you better point to the Lord. So if you start pointing to you, you're going to fall. <laughs> Real quick. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to pastors. They get up there and they start beating that chest, and next thing you know, you don't even recognize them anymore, right? By the things they're saying. It's like, what? The next thing you find out, they're back under the old law. Teaching those things as commandments. Denying Christ. <laughs> I haven't even heard that one. Mm-hmm. Better point to him. Because he's going to humble you if you don't. But it's his, it's his works. Let's not get it twisted. It's his actions that he's given us to do. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. Good for you. The, dem- the devil, not, excuse me, demons believe it too. The thought makes them shudder with fear. But foolish fellow... Do you want me to, or do you want to be shown that such faith apart from actions is barren? Wasn't Abraham our father declared righteous because of actions when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And this is the verse I use when I say we don't work for salvation. We work because of it. Verse 22, you see that his faith worked with his actions. By the actions, the faith was made complete. And the passage of the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham had faith in God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. And we know the book of Romans deals with that extensively. He was even called God's friend. Wait, wait a second. How, do we, how are we called God's friend? You're my friends if you do what I command you, right, John 15? That's how we're God's friends. We're, it's simply... And there's been a lot of divisions over this topic. You know, we're not, it's not a secret. There have. And I think it's because people don't really understand what it is we're trying to say. We're not saying that you can obtain salvation by legalistic, righteous acts. We're simply saying you do the work of God, that's how you obtain salvation. And it's sad that there's been so many divisions over it because I think you get confused on what it is we're trying to say. I don't think any one of us believe that you're ever saved by your works. No one would say that, right? But it's his works he's given us to do. He's given us a task. He's given us an an expectation, right? You see that a person is declared righteous because of actions. Once again, not our own. His. And not because of faith alone. And then he gives us an example. Verse 25. Similar in uh, Romans chapter, in the chapter 2, I believe it is. Where he talks about the Gentiles. If, if they do naturally the works of the law, they're declared righteous without having the law, right? He's at the end of 2 and chapter 3 of Romans. He's going to give us a similar example here. Verse 25 says, Likewise, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also declared righteous because of actions when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another route? Indeed, just as a body without a spirit is dead, so too faith without actions is dead. What, what does that mean? 
Well, that's that means that we can't believe or have this idea that well, the Lord saved me, so I'm just I get to just kick my feet up. It doesn't work that way. He has given us a task to do, and he will he will accomplish it. In chapter four, verse eight, come close to God, and He will come close to you. Clean your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Well, mourn, sob, let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Right again, that default position of, of humbleness or humility. Humbling ourselves. Now, I've heard pastors use this scripture to say, well, you, you can't have any joy in serving the Lord. Right? No. That is a farce. If you don't have joy serving the Lord, I am sorry for you. <laughs> You've got something wrong. I, I'm joyful. right? I think everyone here is. When we come together, we're able to see each other's faces. Right? It's been a year since I've seen you guys. And I'm happy to be here. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, we don't walk around, as my grandfather would have said, I'd, be, I'd rather a rattlesnake come up the aisle and join a church than somebody popping their bubble gum, right? That's what he's talking about. Humble yourself, you arrogant person. That's what he's saying, not you can't have any joy. But too many times we have this arrogance about us, right? That, well, I'm, I'm disobeying the Lord, walking in disobedience, but I sure am glad he saved me. That's what he's talking about. You need to remind yourself. Humble yourself. Come close to God. Clean, clean your hands. Of what? His blood. As you pointed out, right? Not having His blood on our hands. Maybe it was Tyler. Sometimes I get confused on who's speaking. It was me. Especially when it's on the same topic. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> usually how it goes, isn't it? In the service. Everybody tends to have the same topic. That's how the Lord works. But that's what He's talking about. Clean your hands of the Lord's blood. And purify your hearts. <laughs> Two more scriptures and we're done, I promise. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He promised us, right, that he's going to come up, come into us. Uh, this was already read earlier, but I'm going to read it again. He promised us. I'm going to make my bow with you. I'm going to sup with you. Verse 20. Here I am standing at the door knocking. If someone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he will eat with me. And that struck me because it's a little different than uh, Luke chapter 11, right? He says, keep knocking, keep asking. Well, in this case, the Lord's saying, I'm at the door, right? So you see this mutually exclusive binding covenant between us and the Lord. It's like, I'm at the door, and you need to come to the door too, right? You need to keep asking, keep knocking, and I'm at the door. If you hear it and open it, I'm going to come in to you. And we're going to what? Make our abode with you. Verse 21, I will let him who wins the victory sit with me on my throne just as I myself also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. The first, uh, the first passage you read in Isaiah 
I said the salvation. Uh, that word is victory. <laughs> I thought that was very fitting. And the same word here, in the, that was in the Hebrew, obviously, but here in the Greek, uh, it means the same thing. The same word, just in the Greek language. And when I looked it up, it has salvation, victory, conquering, overcoming. Same thing in that verse, right? It's fitting. Being an overcomer, winning that victory through Him. And in chapter 21 of Revelation, so beautiful. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven, the old earth had passed away, and the sea was no longer there. Also, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, See, God's divine presence is with mankind, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and he himself, God with them, will be their God. I know that's a quote from the Old Testament, but we just read about it in the New Testament as well, right? Making his abode with us, living with us. But brethren, that starts now, right? We can't just put it all on the end, like, well, when things get close, I'm really going to get right with God, and then I'm going to go live with him. No. John 14, he's talking about the now, right? I'm going to live with you now. I'm going to go home with you now. And that's how we have to live and, and get rid of those things. Stay, stay united with Him, abiding in Him. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain because the old order has passed away. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Also He said, Right, these words are true and trustworthy. And He said to me, It is done. I'm the A and the Z, or the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I myself will give water free of charge from the fountain of life. Well, where did we hear that? Amen. Starts now, right? Coming to Him. Keeping. Keep on seeking. Or as we say in the South, keep on keeping on. Right? Verse 7, He who wins the victory will receive these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's skip down to verse 22. Talking about his abode, right? His omnipotent, divine presence. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God of heaven's armies is its temple, and is, or as is the Lamb. The city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's divine presence gives it light and its lamp is the lamp. And we'll stop there and we know, you know John chapter 3 talks about that. In right? 1 John also talks about in him is light. There's no darkness. Right? Other places, he doesn't dwell in the temple made by hands. Right? He's it's about, and as he told the woman at the well, it's not about in Jerusalem or on this mountain. It's about abiding in me. Right? Seeking me at all times. 
One more I'm going to close in Romans chapter 1, uh, where it was read earlier. Just because I like the way uh, this translation puts it. And it, fit, and it, it fits with verse 6 of Revelation 21. Where he says, uh, He said to me, It is done unto him as he the beginning and the end. Anyone who is thirsty on myself will give water free of charge in the fountain of life. Tied in with the author and finisher of our faith. And then also here, as the King James puts it, uh, from glory to glory. In verse 17. Well, back up to 16. For I am not ashamed of the good news, since it is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. For in it is revealed how God makes people righteous. Right? We're not righteous of ourselves. He makes us righteous by what? By doing His will. His bidding, as you put it. In His sight, and from beginning to end, beginning to end of what? Genesis to Revelation. I am the A to the Z. I am the beginning and the end. From front to back. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. From beginning to end, it is through trust or faith. As the scripture puts it, but the person who is righteous will live his life by trust. we got to keep James chapter 2 in, in remembrance. As you continue on in the book of Romans, that's exactly what Paul's going to deal with. Why he had a, a burden for his brethren, right? They had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. A knowledge of what? As this translation puts it, trusting faithfulness. We're being trustingly faithful to the end. Right? They, as was pointed out earlier, they missed out on, on the Messiah. They thought that he was coming to deliver them from physical oppression from the Romans. And you can't fault them for it. I mean, I know they had the prophecies, but I'm sure they were thinking back to Egypt when they were delivered from that as a physical deliverance. They didn't realize that Jesus was coming to deliver them from themselves and the law that they created, these man-made teachings, right? And he starts telling them, yes, you got it wrong. Of course, they get offended, right? These are hard sayings. Who can hear it? <laughs> but thank God that we can, right? Thank God that He gave us the ability to have His mind, to have this understanding. To, I mean, that's of Him. Right? You talk, talk to anybody in the world about these things, and it's like, that scripture comes to mind, right? To Jews, it's an obstacle. To Greeks, it's nonsense. Christ crucified. But anyway, I appreciate your time. I'll turn it back over to Brother Tyler. another saying, words to live by. These are words that we live by, by faith. We believe them. And we have those opportunities to, thanks to the Lord's blessing, be able to see these things and reflect on them and to make those changes so that we can be made into His likeness. Because of course He says, He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we have to do? 
We just need to believe it and trust and understand that we've got to do these things. We've got to do these things that he's called us to do. Like what you said, it's not, it's not about our works. Our works are not going to accomplish anything, but it's what the Lord the Lord's laid out before that for us to do. His works through us. His works through us. Yeah. I always, uh, I had the understanding a couple weeks ago that faith, and, and it's, I've heard it said plainly, but works are the precipitation of our faith. It's what is produced by our faith. Like a cloud producing rain. And it comes from who? The source of it all comes from the Lord. And we just need to rely on Him. Not on our own understanding, as the Scripture says, but on Him. Just lean on Him. He works out the rest. And He says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That fear is not a quaking uh, fear. It's a reverence. It's a respect. It's an awe for God. It's a desire to love him and to please him. Yeah. That's what he asked of us. Thank you again for your words and for Lord. your words as well, brother. Ed? Good. Seems like the Lord had us all firing the same piston today. So, thank you for all for your kind attention. Again, remember those of our number that are sick and not doing well. Pray the Lord will heal them and deliver them from all of their ailments. The, the man that brought his son to the Lord and he says Lord help my unbelief help my unbelief he knew he didn't trust the Lord enough and he asked the Lord to change his unbelief and what did the Lord do he healed his son we oftentimes discount what our, what our faith in the Lord can do we often discount the Lord's ability to work in other people's lives maybe putting us in their path to show them what it is to serve the Lord. This week we were reminded that we need to be fervent in serving the Lord. And we need to be actively seeking the Lord and showing others what good is the Lord has produced in our lives because we've desired to lean on Him. And if we are struggling with that, realizing that there are sources and information in, our, in the scripture that give us the account that he does provide that for us, no matter what we're facing. Whether it's in our secular jobs, um, any people we come into contact, our family that we have issues with, whether we feel isolated, the Lord provides all those things. Whether we're hurting physically, mentally, spiritually, he provides all those things. He just asks for us to lean upon him and drink from the living water. That's all we have today. Any questions or comments? Had, glad to have Brother Grant with us, even if it is for a short time. It's very encouraging to, to have be able to visit. Um, don't forget that they have a fellowship meeting coming up in May, last week, 26th to 28th. Yep, Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. Um, so if you're interested in going to that, the uh, they would love to have you. The speakers are uh, Brother Ross Paget from Hawaii. Brother Rick Howard from Modesto. Um, Jeremy Byers from Bakersfield. Stan Allen from Arkansas at Traskwood. Um, and Brother Dan Wheeler from San Diego. So, so good, good lineup of speakers. So I've had the pleasure of hearing most of those except for Rick Howard. So, and I've actually heard something he spoke on. 
uh, recent history. So um, you can do that. It'll be a good thing. My family and I, Lord willing, plan to be there. So if anybody's interested, just let me know. They'll have a place to stay or have something lined up for us, I know. And I know that their ladies will take good care of us and feed us like kings and queens. <laughs> so please send our love and our prayers to the assembly there. And uh, nothing else. We'll stand to be dismissed. Brother Tony, would you dismiss this morning our prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we take this opportunity to come to your house and study your word and for the messages that we've heard today in your word. And that we will not just be hearers of your word, but doers also, Lord, that you might be able to work within our lives, that we might be able to witness to those that uh, we come in contact with, be an encouragement to those that are uh, spiritually sick, be a help to those that are physically uh, ill, that you'll be with each of, uh, of us as we try to help those in need. And, Pray that you continue to give us the strength and uh, the mercy and love that only you can give us. And pray that you continue to be with this church. It might be the lighthouse in this community. Pray that you be with the missionaries as they labor in the poor fields. Continue to bless and encourage them as they labor in their fields. And pray that you continue to uh, be with each of us as we go through this week. That you watch and care for us. And most of all, thank you for your son for dying on the cross for our sins. We ask this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At the bus, at the bus. <laughs> <laughs>